You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron's here. And Christopher Cooley joins us on the show from the top on the phone. Um, We're going to get to a lot of things, including um, best case record for the Redskins in 2019 and the worst case record prediction for the Redskins in 2019. This is not our actual prediction of what they will do. It is contemplating what the best case would be and what the worst case would be. We will get to that uh, a little bit later on in the show, plus the first smell test of the year um, we will do on the show today. Uh, If you were listening to the radio show this morning, Joe Theismann uh, joined us. Uh, I don't know if you were listening coolly or not, but Joe still believes after four preseason games that it, it is in the best interest of the Redskins and of Dwayne Haskins to sit him and hopefully sit him for an entire season, um, assuming Case Keenum can hold down the fort and play well. What is your opinion after four preseason games as it relates to Haskins? Well, Joe's around a lot and talks to a lot of people, and I think he has a good sense for a lot of what's going on. Disagree with Joe, more in the camp of you can't teach experience, and that Dwayne needs real experience in games that matter. I, he's not going to sit the entire season. Let's let's be honest with that. The, the only way he sits the entire season is we get to our best case scenario, which is jumping way ahead of things, and it's a it's a six and three, seven and three, potential ten and six team. That that's the only way. And Case has to play really well in in all regards as they get to that point. Right. Or at least, like Alex Smith did, never turn the ball over. But I don't think that it's in Dwayne's best interest. And I think it's been easy for everybody to say that he's he's really far away. He is really far away. But he's doing everything on the football field that indicates that he is not really far away. And it's preseason, so it's limited. But limit some and let him play some. Is he far away from Case? Like, is there a huge disparity? Joe seemed to think that there was. I have a hard time believing that there's a huge disparity. I think that he's grown a ton in the last four or five months being in the building, learning and understanding the offense and understanding and visualizing plays. And once a quarterback can kind of visualize the play that he says, the words come out of his mouth and he can see it, then he's not far away. Now, he can st- he's still got to understand defense, and he's still got to understand where pressure's coming from, and there are some other things to that. But if he can visualize what he's seeing, then I think he's, he's going to be okay. He'll throw some picks. He'll take some sacks. It won't be pretty, but you won't be able to teach the experience that he'll get this season. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I'm actually really um... – I'm upset that Jay didn't give him a chance in this preseason to play with the ones against somebody's ones. I think that would have been beneficial. Am I wrong? I don't know if you're wrong or you're not wrong. (laughs) It is what it is. They never really had the full complement of their ones or they didn't know exactly what their ones were other than the offensive line. Who, who were our ones through this preseason besides right. Chase Ruye, Brandon Sheriff, and Morgan Moses, who barely played? Adrian Peterson played a game. Darius Geis played a game. Every receiver played. 
You don't know what's going on with the tight end situation. Jordan barely played, but then got hurt. So was he really getting our ones? I think the experience that he had where he had it was incredibly valuable. And to me, other than some timing with a couple of the guys, maybe your tackles and them understanding where you are, some timing and stuff with receivers, I look at this quarterback thing and I say, it's how fast he processes it. It doesn't matter what's necessarily going on around him. That's why you look at a guy like Carson Wentz from a tiny school. You're like, yeah, I know that he's playing against lesser talent, but he's also got lesser talent on the field. It's how fast he's processing and seeing some things. And I thought Dwayne grew through the preseason. I thought he did too. I mean, again, I preface it by saying I don't know what I'm watching like you do, and it's hard for anybody to really gauge a lot from – no game planning, not knowing if you're playing with guys that will eventually be on the team versus guys that may not be in the league. All of that is in play. But the things that we talked about, I think, a week ago or, or two weeks ago um, that were impressive, and remember, you and I were on the same page. Neither one of us was a huge fan of him coming out. We didn't think he was a first-round, certainly not a top half of the first-round drafted guy. We liked other quarterbacks more. With that said, like he, I loved the confidence that he seems to carry himself with. Like he looks and acts like he belongs. He he carries himself with you know this belief that he can throw it anywhere. He can make plays. I thought he looked more mobile than he did at Ohio State with better feel in the pocket, better escapability. You know, multiple times we saw it last night on the play that got called back. Um, arm strength, obviously, size in the pocket, throwing with anticipation. All of those things I thought were impressive. I don't know what I was expecting or what I wasn't expecting, but I was I was pleasantly surprised and, and impressed with what I saw. But I'm more interested in what you saw. Well, I saw all the same things you saw because we were watching the same game. But... <laughs> Uh, all those things are intangible that you love in a quarterback, and that's why he gets drafted in the, in the first round and why he's drafted where he is, because he can make some special plays and he can make some special throws that other people can't make. And you saw it throughout the game, you know, on the move, making throws, a couple off-balance throws that I really liked, a, th- a throw where he's got to adjust his arm angle to kind of throw it around the right. defensive end that's now become so popular. He was really good last night, and it would have been statistically way better if he didn't have some of the drops. drops. So I thought he was really good. Where you start to say he's far away is he's still got to work on his footwork. He's still got to work on his timing and rhythm in the pocket. And he's he's still got to understand, you know, an offense at a a much higher level, and those are the things that we're not going to see in the preseason, and you're not ever really going to know or see as they get going into the season. I doubt anyone would say it if he started that he wasn't ready or that he, wasn't, that he was still so far away. And that's on Jay to, to mask it, and that's on Jay to manipulate an offense that Dwayne can operate in. So he does have a long way to go to be an, an elite NFL quarterback. The Ohio State stuff I'm, I'm really interested in with the athleticism because – you saw it at Ohio State. You, you did if you watched the last five or six games. You saw some of the mobility, some of the movement in the pocket. You did see that at Ohio State. What you didn't see was any form of complexity in off, any style of NFL offense. And a, 
an ability to hit receivers down the field past 20 yards on a consistent basis. I thought he, he missed on a lot of those things. So those are, those are things that's got, that have to come to him. And to you, to me, if he'd have done it another year at Ohio State, it would have been a hands-down no-brainer. You look at how much he grew. He did grow a lot a year at Ohio State. He did get much better as the season went on. And you can see that transitioning over game, man. He's not going to get much better sitting there running the scout team. That's just my feeling. And unless you really do think you're going to win games, I don't know there's a reason not to play him so he gains that experience. Well, they do think they're going to win. I do believe he can, I do believe he can protect himself. That is one thing that we've seen through the preseason. Right. That he will avoid some things and that he will be able to see some things and get the ball out of his hands quickly because he feels pressure or understands his blitz. He might not always slide his line right. He might not always take care of the blitz, but I think he has a feel for where it's coming from and how to get rid of it. Yeah. We lost Actually, the thing that I – We lost you there for a second. Oh, really? That's now weird. I got you back. You you just said that you 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 think he can he can protect himself, which was one of the concerns as to why you wouldn't play him early is because he doesn't have the ability to protect himself. And you said that there are may there perhaps are some times where he's not sliding the line protection wise in the right direction. But you feel confident well, that he can protect himself. You know, but, that, but that's I'm, what I'm saying is that's just a that's a that's a big step for a quarterback to see all of the exotics. Is I think what coaches in the NFL call all the pressures from all the different areas mm-hmm. and understand almost like a puzzle how you pick up some of those things. But because he does sense it, feel it, he can get the ball out of his hand and he can also move in the pocket so he's, he's not going to take some of those hits. And he, he isn't fast. He's athletic. He can move in the pocket and he moves well like a quarterback in the pocket. And he's going to avoid some of the stuff. It's more like Ben is what it, it really looks like to me. He looks, I think ben. he looks more. I think he looks quicker than Ben. Well, Ben's old now. Well, I know. Think back to when Ben two thousand. It's hard for me to think back then. He he never he 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 barely he was rumbling when he ran like big long heavy steps. I think the other guy. I think Haskins looks a little bit more mobile. I'll, I'll give you a little bit. The thing that neither you and I could have seen, and it's fair, completely fair, and that only teams would have really seen or only people that really knew him would have seen, is what kind of guy he is, what kind of leader he is, how he handles himself, his love for the game. And those are things that I think we're starting to see here. Little things like he, he's having a blast out there. He's smiling. He's laughing. He's having fun. He's with his teammates. When Cam Sims dropped three balls, he took Cam Sims over and they threw about 20 passes together on the sideline. Like, that's a big pick-me-up. Now, that's a hard spot for a receiver. So you see some of these intangibles that if you just turn on Ohio State film and watch Dwayne Haskins, you would never pick up. Right. So that's that's another big part of where a player raises his draft stock. It, it's, it's something that you, you can't watch on film. And I think he has a lot of that stuff that you can't watch on film inside of him. The one thing that you and I were worried about, and I think you were with me on this, is when he wasn't playing well and things weren't going well, I didn't see that love. I, I didn't see him dig and believe and make plays that you go, wow, he just overcame three bad drives. And it's not like he didn't do it. It just I didn't see the body language the way I see the body language when it's going really good. But you're also talking about a really young kid, and he can grow into that competitiveness. 
So I said something on the radio show and I think on the podcast the other day that I found out you either told me on the podcast or you've just been doing on your own podcast. We couldn't figure that out. But I predicted that we would, it was a hunch, and maybe it was a hunch because I heard you have the same hunch. I don't know. That could be it. But that Jay would figure out a way to get him a series in the Philadelphia game, you know, some sort of special package for him to get his feet wet, you know, early in the season. And, and, I, and I predicted, I said, we're going to see him on the field before the end of the month of September. And, I, and it wouldn't shock me if we see him in the opener. And apparently you either told me that and I just forgot it or it just remained in my brain somewhere and I tried to take credit for it. Um, but you th- you think the same thing, right? Do you still think it? Well, first of all, how many times when we were planning a show <laughs> did we come up with the random same idea on the same day? We did, or, a when lot. We're interviewing a, when we're interviewing a guest and you have seven questions and mine are six of the seven same questions. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, you got credit, man. You thought it up in your own world. I don't know if I now, did or didn't. didn't, you, just but... didn't you just didn't think it up. You just didn't think it up first. <laughs> right. So do so, you still believe it, that that Jay's going to figure out a way to get to play him here early? I don't know. When I, when I said they should play him early, I said they should play him early, and they should give him a series, and, and they should get him out there. And just give them a couple small packages. It's, it's high schools do it, colleges do it. It's not common in the NFL. But I think that you, you absolutely get him a feel for playing in an NFL ball game, prepping on a certain level. You keep his. It's not like he won't be incredibly involved, but you pique his interest at all times when he has a certain amount that he does actually have to contribute. So I think there's a lot that goes into just giving him a couple series in the first game. If it's if he does well, had success, you give him a couple more in the second game, and you see where you're at. I I, I totally I believe they should do that. I don't know if they will do that. It's very uncommon. It would be very far fetched to just have that happen. But yeah. it it's but the thing is, is the one thing I believe is that there's not a massive difference between him and Case right now. That bothers me. We could be wrong. Could be wrong. That bothers but. me that you say that because if there really isn't a big difference, Joe said there was, then I'd be playing him. Well, there's going to be a big difference in the way you score points with the two of them and, and how games play out. But I think Dwayne has some special skills that Case doesn't to make that throw where everyone goes, oh, and the thing about it is, is how many times do you hear defensive coordinators say, man, if it weren't for those four plays, we play great all day. I don't know if they're good enough to nickel and dime people and have Case pick people apart. I don't know if they have that talent around Case to make plays after the catch and to make enough plays in the run game that they keep that balance. I do know that Dwayne's going to make some throws down the field if he comes in that surprise some people in a, in a positive way. So I think his positive overcomes the negative almost to the same level that cases positive and negative would counteract with each other. That's just my thought. I don't know because I just haven't seen enough case in our, in, in our uniform. Right. But it seems to be that way that Dwayne could make some, make up some things that he made mistakes for. You know, Speaking of, you know, we didn't see a lot of anybody uh, at quarterback in uniform. We didn't see anybody that's more likely than not going to be on the field 
to start the season, you know, on the field a lot in preseason. And this was a trend league-wide. I mean, it's been a trend for a while um, in the league. The Redskins aren't the only team. Everybody just doesn't seem to, to value these opportunities to get into some sort of rhythm anymore, which is fine, whatever. I mean, they know better than I. But when we get to opening day, can you give me a guess as to who the wide receivers are going to be? And I'd actually like your guess as to who – uh, is going to make this final f- 53 cut down at wide receiver because that seems to be the one area that nobody has a clue about other than I think it's a given that Paul Richardson and Trey Quinn, if they're healthy, they're going to be on the roster in play. After that, I have no idea how it plays out. Well, Terry's going to be on the roster in play. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, I after think- what we heard early, that of course, but we didn't see much of him either. That was a big surprise to me when he played what, one play in the opener, a couple plays maybe in the Atlanta game where it wasn't really noticeable and none the rest of the way. Right. But look, Terry's been out there and he's been trying. Like, <laughs> I think it's just looked at. I'm not trying to be dismissive here. I think it's just looked at on a smaller scale. Like a practice isn't heavily scrutinized and evaluated on a high school level as it is in an NFL level. They learn a lot. In they see a lot in practice. So, I think they'll know, especially if they know he's capable of really contributing. Like they're, they're, the bubble guys, sometimes you want to see them make plays in games. The guys that aren't bubble guys, it just stands out. You go to the practice field, you watch practice for 20 minutes, you say, him, well, look at that guy. He can play. And so I think they feel that way about Terry and, and like Terry a lot. So you, you said Richardson, Quinn, Terry. I think Kelvin Harbin makes this team. I was almost sure on Cam Sims, and I don't know if those drops really hurt him or didn't hurt him. I like Kidsey, and I like Steven Sims Jr. And I like Robert Davis as well, but I think he's probably a guy that makes your practice squad again this year. I don't think that Doxson makes it, but... Things can happen over a period of two days where you have a couple coaches go to bat for him and you say, what else do we have? It's not like he's costing them a lot of money. At least we we know what he can do. Sometimes coaches will get into that. So uh, he doesn't make my team with the receivers around right now. But he might. I would put it at 80-20 or 20 20 on, 80 off. On Dachshund. Well, they're trying to trade him. I mean, that would be that would be the best thing. And look, you know, I've been incredibly critical of the team president, you know, in recent years um, and months. But one of the things he has done since he got here is he exhausts every possibility before cutting somebody loose. You know, he's gotten picks for people that, you know, most didn't think you could get picks for, or some didn't even want to try to get picks for. So if you can get a conditional late round pick for Doxon, and by the way, I hope it's not a seventh for a former first rounder. I'd like it to be like a conditional fifth, like you could get up to a fifth if he plays and plays well. Um, you know, he's going to try to get that done. I, that's what I'm assuming. If he doesn't get it done by deadline tomorrow, I think he's going to be on the roster and that they're going to try to keep him until somebody, you know, actually wants to give him a pick for him. Just depends on if they actually believe he's going to help him in the first five games or not. 
Can you imagine if they keep him on the roster and he's inactive? Well, that's, I think, a very good possibility if they don't trade him by the deadline tomorrow. If he's on that roster and they haven't traded him, it's a pretty good bet he's going to be inactive, don't you think? I don't think he makes the roster. Okay. But that's where, that's where I'm at. Well, then here's the other thing as well. is When you say the roster, there's going to be all these cuts Saturday. The roster's who, who shows up to practice on Wednesday. Right. right. Really, that's what the roster – when. When you really look at it, you got to see across the league who clears waivers, who you evaluated and said, "Hey, look, we had we had a fifth on this guy, and someone took him in the fourth, and they cut him, but we liked him, and we believe that he would fit with us." Like, there's one or two of those guys almost every year that make a roster that we're not on your team. Yeah. Not to mention a veteran that gets cut surprisingly that all of a sudden you know is available for an area where you have a need and and so back to Doxon, there could be a lot of teams that say here are five guys that we hope clear waivers and then we would trade for Doxon. and right. then the conditional fifth got it so that you know he could be on this roster through the weekend he could be on this roster on monday's practice but does he clear the roster by Wednesday? And that's the roster. And even at that, some of the veteran players that end up making the team, the real roster is the next Wednesday. Because they don't want a lot of the veteran veteran players, they don't want to pay the vested minimum if they were to get hurt exactly. or something were to happen. Right. So you won't even sign them in week one. Yeah. They, they, you gotta, but I don't think you that will apply to Doxon. Right. Um, on the running back front, it's Geis, it's Peterson, it's it's Chris Thompson. Is there another back? Does Samaje P. Ryan make the final roster? Does Byron Marshall make it? That's another – having that clear waivers discussion is an incredible discussion because you look around the league and you say, like, look at just Philly, for example. They have six yeah. backs. That, and they've kept a lot of backs, so you don't know. But like Wendell Smallwood might be a better third down back, and I don't know if he makes their roster. Like Wendell Smallwood's probably the, a better option right now moving forward than – Samaje or Byron. I don't know if that's true or not. That's, that'd be my opinion. Samaje, I think, is it's got to be tough for Samaje to make it because you have Darius Geis and Adrian Peterson, two first and ten backs. And you have, then you have Chris Thompson. And Chris Thompson's hurt. And you have to account for that. He's not currently hurt, but Chris Thompson gets it. You have to account for that. So wouldn't you want to keep a third down back? And yeah, then lastly... But- yeah. Backs aren't always that hard to find in the season. It's not like going out and finding a guard where you have to bring in Jonathan Cooper and whoever the hell they brought in last year to workouts because there are no guards on the free agent wire. There are always backs out there that come in and play for you. That's oh. how I feel. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, like the LaShun Danielses and the, you know, the um, – uh, well, Rob Kelly was on the roster. The, the other, the other guy that they actually played a bunch. Yeah, they they picked up so many of these backs at the end of the year. Some of whom have actually been productive. Um, I was just curious, and I don't know why I thought of this, but remember last year there were a couple of sets where Pirine was in there as a fullback. I do. So that yeah. I mean, you're not going to see that not, formation in the preseason. Offense, but they're a single back offense. I know that. I actually suggested last year, when we were doing our show, I think, and throughout the last, that they abort single back offense because they can't get to the edge with the tight ends. And I said, just put a fullback in and lead. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, but that's not the style that they they run. That's not the way they really operate. So I would be very surprised to see someone kept as a fullback. And at that, if you're going to keep a fullback, talk into the phone. We're losing you. You got to talk into the phone there. At that, if you keep a fullback, you probably keep JP Holtz. Got it. Which is actually another really interesting roster spot because what's going on with Jordan Reed is is unknown. I want, I've, I've got that on my list of things to talk to you about. But real quickly, I mean, I thought Holtz looked good. You've liked Matt Flanagan before. Let's just assume Jordan Reed will be healthy. I mean, Jay indicated that the other day that he thinks Jordan Reed will be ready for the opener. Um, Vernon Davis, Jeremy Sprinkle, those are three givens. Do you keep – is there another tight end? By the way, that big dude, that six foot eight dude looks pretty good to me too. I actually think they look like they've got pretty good tight ends. You would indicate that Jordan would play by all means because Philly will game plan heavily for Jordan. Okay. Gotcha. You don't want to tell them that Jordan's not going to play. I don't know. To be honest with you, I haven't talked to Jordan. Not once. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's going to be at practice this week. I have no clue. So I'm tell- you know I'm telling you that honestly. I know. You've got to think about it when you have a – you just do when you hit your eighth concussion. You, you got to think about it, and I think he's got to he's got to have a, a couple doctors. And if I'm here's the way I look at it, and I have to do if it were me. Did he have a concussion? Me, Let me interrupt. You. I don't be- even know the. I don't. I don't know. Right, Did because they, they, you don't have to announce preseason injuries. Well, because when you enter the concussion protocol, it doesn't mean that you had a concussion. And then the other part of this, and you and I have had this conversation in the past, you know, the whole concussion diagnosis thing is not the easiest thing. I've, you know, I've had a concussion before. I've had a son who's had two of them playing sports. And it is really based on the patient's description of his or her symptoms more times than not, that drives the diagnosis or the result. Not, not in the, not in the, not in the NFL. Well, you don't. They, they don't do a CT or an MRI scan, which wouldn't help anyway. Well, first of all, he has a baseline. I understand that. Done. So did my son. They, they, they did it right from the beginning. You had a baseline to compare it to. Well, then you're if you're concussed, you're not going to have the same balance as you had in your baseline. It's just, a lot of times it's as simple as just having the balance. My, po- my point is, close your is, eyes and stand on a piece of foam. If you can't, if you did it. Before you were concussed for six seconds and you did it for one, we're pretty sure you're concussed. My point is it's based on the patient's description of the symptoms. It's not, you know, a throat culture that says you've got strep throat. Yeah, but what I'm saying is you can't describe balance. You have to enact balance. True. Right. So there are a lot of things in the baseline test. What if your balance is fine? Then you move on to the second set of it, and if you're fine, you're fine. If you're not concussed, you're not concussed. I don't know what to tell you. I'm sure they know if he did or didn't have a concussion. You'll find out on Monday, right, because Monday's when you have to announce your injury report for the first time Right. when you practice on Monday. So you'll find out on Monday. And maybe he didn't, and things are great. I would love that. What do you think what about it if he is, did? What do you think about it if he did have his seventh or eighth concussion? If it were me, I would play. If as soon as I got cleared, I would try to play. I'm stubborn, and you know me, and I would. If it were my son, I would beg him not to play. 
what about those that would make that's the, the only way I can look at it what about those that would make the argument that you should be protected from yourself in that situation and not be allowed to play that there should be a certain number of concussions that automatically you know end your career if it were my son it could be the mildest concussion of all time that maybe we don't even think is a concussion but it's the eighth time that something's happened that you think geez I wouldn't care what it was if it if it were my son. It'd still it'd still be his his decision, but that's the only way I can look at it. And I, I don't feel the same way for Jordan. If Jordan wants to play, he should play. If Jordan wants to think about it, he should think about it. I, it someone said, would, "Would you tell Jordan Reed he shouldn't play?" No, I'm not going to tell Jordan Reed he should or shouldn't play. That's his decision. It's him and his family. It's not my decision to make. So I don't think I should tell Jordan Reed think about it. But I've thought a lot about that because I could do that. And I'm not going to do that. It's his decision. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, nobody's rooting for players to get concussed or to have long-term health issues due to playing football. Just like, you know, if m- other lines of work were more visible, you know, you wouldn't root for mine workers or or other people who are in physical uh, p- positions in jobs where they can get sick or they can get hurt. You wouldn't root for that either. But there are jobs in this country that come with risk. And th- in this particular job, you get compensated at a s- an outrageous level to take that risk. I mean, I think one day there's just going to be a liability waiver you're going to have to sign. And I, I don't, you know, I know this is a, a longer, deeper discussion, and I don't really want to have it right now because I want to, I want to stick with the team. But I, I'm just not a believer that somehow football's in danger, like somehow football in my lifetime or in my kids' lifetimes are, are, is going to disappear. I just don't believe that. I'm not a believer in that either, but I, I am believing that they need to really consider how they're calling some of these personal fouls because it it grandizes the like the Jay Hugh Chesson hit. Do you have a problem with that Jay Hugh Chesson hit last night? Ball's fumbling around on the punt. He goes diving in like he's gonna get the ball. He ends up hitting with his chest, not his head. I don't think it was malintent. Now we throw a flag and, and to me it says violent game. Violent game. Do you want your kids to play this game? Monte Nicholson hit early in the season. Josh Norman hit early in the season. And those are just us. Now, the Keanu Neal hit on Jordan Reed, I I, I, don't, I don't think it was malicious. Everyone I don't either. Shot. I think Jordan Reed was falling down, and Keanu Neal is a big hitting safety in Atlanta. He was trying to put a hit on Jordan Reed. Jordan's helmet lowered, and Keanu Neal's helmet lowered because his pad level lowered, and that's part of football. But his helmet flew off, so yeah, we can throw that hit. His helmet threw off. I get that. It was clear helmet to helmet contact. So I get that you have to call that one. But I think they need to be careful with what which they do and do not call. Well, yeah. I mean, they have been legislating. Just find them afterwards. Just quietly find them afterwards. I, I totally agree. They, they, they've legislated. Take their money and they'll try to change. They're, they're legislating the physical, the physicality out of the game. And that's not good. That's not good for the product. It's not. I mean, you know. I, and and too much of it is an overreaction, um, but that's me. I'm not out there taking the shots or laying the shots on anybody. I like and have always liked that aspect of football. It's been one of the things that, for me as a fan, has been part of the thrill. Is that I? You, you know me. I I enjoy 13 to 10 physically violent defensive games more than that more than 47, 44. 
much more. Like that Cowboys-Saints game on a Thursday night game, uh, last year was awesome to watch. 13-10. to 10. Didn't want the Cowboys to win, but an awesome game. I, lo- I like those games, but... Uh, by the way, last night's hit was late. That's that's why it got flagged. I thought it, it, the guy the was on the ground and hit surrender. The ball. I don't know how you make that. He was, I thought he had surrendered sort fumbled. of on the ball, had given himself up. But whatever. And no one was watching the game last my, night my, anyway. My, they don't even know what we're talking about. Yeah, they did. <laughs> no, here's they my don't. thought. Here's my some thirty six percent no. So here's my thought. I think it's twenty two. Really, really quickly. <laughs> I I initially was of the mindset that if you start to fix it on the NFL and you and kids are watching this game and they're seeing it be, they've seen it corrected that you could start to you could start to take it out of U sports. You can't. Go watch U sports and watch the kid who hits. You'll know because there's gonna be one kid on the field <laughs> exactly. that really hits. Exactly. And he's gonna lead with his helmet because he's going to. So if you wanna fix it don't fix it on an NFL level. Fine, I'm fine. But fix it by really, truly exaggerating the effort between fifth and eighth grade. And then all the obviously all the way through high school. But these you only fix it with youth coaches. I'm I'm watching Little League football. My friend had a, a kid who got hit helmet to helmet, sent me all these videos. They're kids. Helmet to helmet, it's big helmet to helmet contact. Kid could hit. He, that's not because Monte Nicholson on the sideline. It was the same, almost same type right. of hit. It's not because Monte Nicholson did it. That's because it's natural part of the game. So if you want to take it out, you got to teach them how to do it differently when they're ten. All right, uh, let's move on to something else, and that would be Trent Williams. So D'Angelo Hall yesterday was on the station. He was on with a podcast. Um, and basically said that he had talked to Trent Williams, D'Angelo Hall did, and Trent Williams said there's 0% chance that he's coming back. Have you heard anything? What is your guess right now on how this whole thing gets resolved, if, if, if it does get resolved anytime soon? I don't think he comes back. I, I think that it's tricky. I looked it up, and I'm not sure this is exactly what it is because thing, numbers are reported on fines and when these things happen, and they're not necessarily what the team actually can do. I'm always surprised what gets reported that isn't right. And I'm not saying they failed or did it inappropriately, just that they don't have all the details. It looks like it's costing him 700 grand this year in fines. I think he can afford that. I hope he can afford that. I'm sure he spent that's a lot in, of money. That's in fines. That's in fines, and right. he's going to pass on $12 million. I also understand that. In salary. But he is also going to receive a big contract the next year. Whether he comes back, things are changed, we, they reconcile, he's going to get another big contract, or he gets traded and someone else signs him to a big contract. So I think he's just looking at it and saying, now at some point I am going to get that new contract. And it, even if it's because of the problems that – that he hasn't mentioned people around him have mentioned in the training staff or medical staff he's still going to get a new contract at the end of next year or at the beginning of next year so he can wait he does he does have enough money to wait is what what i believe and so i think it's interesting you know wait a minute i want to make sure i understand what you're saying you're you're saying that the possibility exists that he sits out the whole year he loses on the fines and the you know to salary 
you know, the, the 10 to 12 million in salary. And then the Redskins, you're saying that the Redskins potentially then next year give him a contract extension? I'm not saying that they do give him a contract extension, oh. but I'm saying if, if they wanted him back and they wanted to find a way to reconcile and they want to make some of the changes that apparently he wants, then you could give him a contract extension at the end, at the beginning of the next year, or you could trade him next year and someone else could give him that contract extension. Right. I don't, I don't see this as a, okay, don't sign. We're going to let your contract toll for as long as it tolls and you're never going to play again. I don't think that's going to happen. I think something happens by the end of the year. But what I'm saying is if I'm Trent, I'm looking at it, looking at it saying, I'm passing on 700 grand, also on receiving another 12 million, which is about seven to him. Mm-hmm. But next year I will get paid a hundred million dollar contract. Uh, One way or another, someplace or another. You heard Bruce the other day with Sherry Burris at NBC4, you know, basically, you know, say that, you know, he still thinks that Trent will eventually play for the Redskins. Um, We know him to be, you know, stubborn, spiteful at times, um, wants to win this, you know, standoff. Uh, Do you think that's in the best interest of the organization right now for the organization to stand firm and not give him a contract extension, and also simultaneously not trade him. It only hurts the organization if they know he's not coming back, if they're not able to trade him for what they could get at some point in the early part of the season, before the trade deadline. I don't think this is... I don't think this is a lot of drama in the locker room. I I didn't suggest it was. So I don't think it's hurting your team right now, other than your star player is not here. But he's not coming back, is is what he said. So I, I think you could play it out until the trade deadline. If, in fact, you got to the trade deadline and he, and he wasn't traded, and he wasn't coming back, yeah, then standing firm is not going to do it. Just out of curiosity, I'm just thinking this thing through to the end of his deal. If he sat out this year and sat out next year, he doesn't get free agency at that point, does he? No, I'm not exactly sure. If he pays the fines and pays out of his contract, he would. If he retired like Andrew Luck, he wouldn't. Right. But I think if he he pays fines for two straight years, uh, yeah, his contract would end, and the rights on the contract would end. And he'd be 33 years old, and then he pays the fines. He missed out on... 22 million, some somewhere in that, maybe maybe more than that over the next 20, 23 million over the next two years, and then he'd be free to go sign with somebody else. Of course, the yeah. Redskins could always franchise him. That would be funny. No, it wouldn't. That no, would I, 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 I don't. I'm I'm being tongue in cheek, sarcastic. It wouldn't be funny at all. But I'm just playing this thing out to where this stand, the you know, the standoff continues multiple years. Like he is never playing for them, and they're never going to trade him. They're going to make. Well, what you're playing out is is that the team always will have more leverage than the player. It's true, and he's trying to exercise every iota of of leverage that he has right now. But the team always has more leverage than the player, and essentially it trickles down to, well, Donald Penn's pretty good. We like him. And if he's not, Jaron Christian's going to get a shot. And if he's not, we're just going to draft a guy in the first round next year, and we're going to move on. That's the leverage they have. The player, they don't owe the player anything. They don't owe the player your 
we love you so you play or we we owe anything to you so you're on the field or we have to pay you they they don't owe them. the player needs the team that's the nature of the NFL right now yeah i, I mean I, I don't disagree with that i just think this organization should have been in reboot mode at the end of last year anyway and I would have been, as I, as I told you last year, I would have been thinking about trading him now anyway because you could extract great value for him at 31, much more so than you can at 33 or 34, um, if you had signed him to a you know, couple of years of, of extension. Um, and I would have done the same thing with Kerrigan, and I would have been trying to just you know compile and stockpile just as many draft choices as I could to build for the future and when you know in the future when you've got a chance to compete he was going to be 34 35 years old anyway you know maybe 33 2 years from now but now this situation just makes it easier for me to do this because my fan base isn't going to be upset about it if i get a first rounder a mid first rounder or two twos and a five or a two a three and a four you know i i i win and I think this is where Bruce, you know, once again has sort of, I, I think he's got it wrong. I think he believes that he only wins if Trent comes back. And I would say as a fan of the team, he wins if he gets somebody to give him a first and a fourth or two twos and a fifth or whatever. And he gets a lot of value out of Trent. And by the way, that doesn't have to be this weekend. It could be right before the trade deadline. It could be week four. Or you just threw out a new possibility. It could be after 2019. You know, and and because you're not going to use these picks until the 2020 draft anyway. So it's not like you're in a hurry to get the picks. You're you're you, what you want is the best possible deal. It's just a certainty that you're not going to get anywhere in the mid-first after the season because you're going to draft a tackle if you're in the mid-first. You're going to get a first-round tackle in the draft. So you lose that potential of of getting a mid-round pick. And you, I'm, well, there's I, also I'm, not, I'm not following why. I mean, because I, I nobody's, understand- going to t- nobody's going to sign Trent Williams to a big time contract when they have five tackles on the board in the first oh, round. Oh, oh, the other the team that's trading for him got it. You Sorry. also you also lose the certainty of say let's say Houston calls and says we'll do it we'll give you a first that they might have five injuries across the board that are detrimental to that team. That's right. And now that first it becomes a ten. Yeah, then, you're, you're trading for the exact pick at the end of the season. Yeah, no, I got it. I got it. Um, I don't know if you saw this report yesterday, but a Houston reporter um, from the Houston Chronicle reported that there were five teams that had reached out and had inquired about Jadavian Clowney's availability, and one of those teams was the Redskins. I think it was the Seahawks, the Dolphins, the Eagles, the Jets, and the Redskins. Now, one of the uh, the part of the report said that the Redskins were not interested in parting with Trent Williams. So, you know that that that's also another indication that Bruce right now just is like, you know what, I'm not, I'm winning this thing. I'm not trading him. He wants yeah. to get traded. I'm I'm not letting him get traded. I think it probably is more like the Houston Texans have reached out to five teams. In this instance, I would bet you that Houston reached out to acquire Trent Williams. Okay. Uh, would you have made the trade if it were straight-up Clowney for Williams? No. Why? Because I don't know when Clowney's going to play. If Clowney's going to play, I don't know. What do you mean? About he's, not, he's not injured. 
He's always injured. No, he had microfracture on his knee. That's actually not true. He's, he's missed three games in three years. He got injured early in his career. Last three years, he was an three a, he games. was an unbelievable player last year. But when I trade for Clowney, then what am I going to pay Clowney? Well, that that now, would now, be the challenge. Now I got to pay. Now I got to pay, pay Clowney a, a dynamite deal, and I just drafted Montez Sweat. I still believe in Ryan Kerrigan. I, I got to give Ryan Anderson some credit. Casanova's been good. He got hurt last night. I know. I, I love. I him. don't know. I don't. I don't want to pay Jadavian Clowney. No, I did. He just doesn't fit my mo here. Ooh. He's be- I, uh, to, to, trust me. I don't I'm not discounting that he's a he's an unbelievable. He's player. better than anybody a, any, anything that we have right now. We don't know about Sweat. We're hopeful about Sweat, but he's better than Kerrigan by miles. <laughs> I mean, how it, many miles? How many miles? Well, I don't know, mile and a half. I, 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 yeah, you, you know how I feel about it. So, so but I don't. I don't. No, way, I don't. Wanna, I don't I think don't Houston. Want, I, don't I don't think Houston would do the deal, Clowney, for Trent Williams straight up. I think they'd require more. I guarantee they'd do the deal. They need to get that off the books um i think the bigger issue is that number one the money what do you have to pay him so i'm with you on that and number two i i do think that the redskins you know backslap a lot about things that to them are obviously big wins and they believe they've won big in the draft in recent years along the defensive front and you know this year with 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 potentially a, a lights out pass rusher in sweat, and they don't add to areas of strength, which I think is is foolhardy because they still don't have an obvious A plus player. I think Payne and Allen look like A players, and I hope Sweat turns out to be one. Clowney is definitely one right now at twenty five years old or twenty six years old. Sure, but they they add to they've added to that area over the last three years. Every year, over three years, they've drafted someone in the That's first true. round in that area. Settle. Sweat, Anderson. Yep, Allen, Payne, Dunton. Sweat, all first-rounders. Yeah. Kerrigan, first-rounder. Anderson, second-rounder. Settle, they drafted, but they really like. I mean, yeah, they've added to the yeah. area that they believe is a strength. They, they believe that they need a strong front. It's very clear and apparent you believe you've, you need a strong front. And as my, you look this up. I'm still trying to disprove this, and I can do it. Um, the team that has had the best rushing defense in the NFC has won the NFC, I think, 14 out of the last 15 years. And the one team that didn't was us when we won it at nine and seven three years ago. You're saying the best rush defense, best total rush defense in the NFC. It's amazing. I heard the stat. I was thinking, no way. It's true. I went through the last 15 years. Whoever won, whoever had the best rushing defense in total yards, won the NFC. Uh, Except not, for the one year, not we true. Did. Last year, the Bears were the best rush defense in the NFC. In the sorry, sorry, the NFC East. Oh, the in NFC the East. NFC East. Uh, la- yeah, okay. Last yeah, year. Yeah, no, I did it. You don't have la- to do it. No, I did it. Yeah, last year was the Cowboys. In 17, it was the Eagles. I can't believe you're going to do this. And I believe me. <laughs> in 16, it was the Cowboys. I just, I have a, you want me to just. So in 15, I have a, a notebook the right here had with the, the best rush defense in 15 in the division? Yeah. It was It was not a good rush defense. No. But it. And they uh, didn't. You're wrong. You it, lose. No, the Redskins were the one team. I said 15, 14 out of 15 years. Oh, oh okay. The Redskins in 15 were third. They allowed 1,962 yards. Dallas was first. They went 4-12 and 12 that year. They allowed 1,934 yards. But I think the imperative number here is total amount of carries. I think if you allow less carries, that's what really dictates winning the NFC East and being a good run defense. And in part, allowing less carries means you're also scoring in your head in the second half of ball right. games. 
So I think it's, there's a, some flaw to that. But I do think, based on the way they're looking at it, is, I'm sure that is something they're saying, stop the run, we win. Yeah, I mean, score, though. you know, that, <laughs> it, it sometimes bothers me if somebody gets stuck on one stat that's sort of trended in the right direction. Not that stat, though, because I've always thought that if you can stop the run, you got a really good shot to to be competitive in games. And it's true. I mean, if you look at the run defense in general, the numbers, like the top 10 run defenses, I don't have the number, but I'm going to guess what the number is, and I bet if we went back and did the research, I'm going to be pretty damn close to right, that 70% of the top 10 run defenses make it to the playoffs. Last year, I just pulled it up. The Bears were one, playoff team. Saints, two, playoff team. Texans, three, playoff team. Ravens, four, playoff team. Cowboys, five, playoff team. Steelers were not a playoff team last year. Eagles were, Colts were, Chargers were, Lions weren't. So 80% last year, just two teams among the top 10 run-stopping teams, the Lions and the Steelers, were not in the playoffs. But take it a step further. If you're winning in games late... Teams are throwing. Teams are throwing the ball. Yeah, I understand that. So I think it's it's less cares. But essentially the way you look at it is if you allow less than 1,500 rush yards, you're a playoff team. If you allow 1,600 or less, you're probably a playoff team. Right. In, in a lot of cases, 1,700 or less, you still have a very good chance of being I, I would I would argue with your you know potential reason for having really attractive rush defense numbers that in watching these teams last year that are in the top 10, the Bears were just a legit, you know, tough first down run-stopping team. The Ravens, you couldn't run against the Ravens. I don't care if you were throwing – and by the way, they weren't up by a lot late in games, nor were the Cowboys. You couldn't run against the Cowboys. You know, for, Not for, always. It doesn't, it doesn't always play out yeah. that way. I, I understand that it doesn't always play out that way, but what was it? Dak's first year, 2016. 2016, they, they, they dominated were the best rush defense. But they were up in games, huge. They also so no one de- could run the ball on them. They also dominated time of possession. And so Which the defense wasn't even them. on the field that much. Right. Yeah. And that, like that year, Dallas had, they only had 340 carries against them. That's like one of the best over the last 15 years. Philly in 17, when they won the Super Bowl, they only had 337 carries against them. Yeah. They were the best run defense. But think of that offense with Wentz, how many points they were scoring. So before right. he got hurt. Uh, anyway, that was a wormhole. I want to do one more thing with you before you go. I want to do a best case and a worst case for uh, 2019. And I'm going to give you mine first so you can get a sense of what I'm looking for from you. Um, my best case for the Redskins in 2019 is 9-7. and seven. And, and I'm going to give you a quick description as to why I feel that way. It's basically the inside straight. You know, it's theory. It's the everything goes right theory. It assumes, first of all, that they do have a an improved defense because I think we've gotten carried away with how great the defense is going to be. The defense last year was improved. It wasn't a really good defense. In fact, in the second half of the season, it wasn't very good at all. Um, but all of the other stuff, so it assumes an improved and a good defense, a, a defense that approaches top 10. And by the way, I, I would emphasize a good run defense in particular. Then everything else has to go right. You've got to have um, health. You've got to win the turnover battle. You can't beat yourself offensively like they didn't do in the first you know, seven or eight games last year. You can't beat yourself on special teams. You can't beat yourself consistently with you know average to subpar coaching decisions. 
you know, if all of those things come together and they've got a high level defense, nine and seven is a best case. By the way, I, I, I would mention the following, and I think you and I had this conversation off the air the other day. You know, if you look at the top defenses last year and you think in this day and age, a great defense, like a top five defense, can just carry you to the postseason with a, a bad offense, not true anymore. Buffalo and Denver both had top five DVOA defenses last year, both went six and 10. Denver had the fifth overall DVO, uh, DVOA defense last year. And they had Case Keenum starting 16 games, but he turned it over too much. They weren't very good offensively. They went 6-10. and 10. So 9-7 and seven is my best case. It is getting all the cards and making sure that you don't beat yourself. My worst case is 3-13. and 13. And that's not a reflection of a roster that has a three and thirteen roster because I think this roster is better than a three and thirteen, four and twelve, you know, five and eleven roster. I do. I think that defensively alone, their roster is, you know, top half of the league defensively. At worst case, maybe top ten defensively. And it's not contingent on avoiding the injury bug, you know, or or getting the injury bug again either. The three and thirteen worst case is the team goes into turmoil season. It's they lose early against a schedule on paper that looks tough. They start off, you know, one and five, you know, oh and five, one and six, something like that. And everybody in a weak cultured organization starts to question everybody else and the whole thing snowballs and it crashes and burns and three and thirteens in play. That's my best case. That's my worst case. What's yours? You like this game where you set parameters as opposed to just pick a final record? Yes. Yeah, it's a fun game. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't want, I just don't want to hear numbers from you. I want to hear explanation. I know. I'm just saying, like, some smart guy must have done this for you last year and said you can't just pick an end result. So I like what you're doing here. <laughs> did you do that to uh, me? <laughs> we did this last year. Yeah, I we think said, we've done I, it for a lot. I of just years. get so tired of that. Okay. What are they going to be? Well, uh, they're going to be <laughs> ten and six. Like no, you can't say like that's. There's so many intangibles okay, to what they're me. going to be. So best case, worst case is great. I mean, you still, it's still okay. First of all, we'll start with best case, which is best case. Okay, it's not my case. If I were to say it's likely, I'd say no. It's still the NFL. You do have a good defense. You play some teams that get banged up, get hurt. Somehow you get hot through the middle part of the season after you find a way miraculously to go two and three. Three and two. I mean, if you were to go three and two, that'd be a miracle, I think. So, but we'll see. But maybe a couple teams get banged up. Let's say, well, maybe you just surprise the Eagles in week one with your defense, and all of a sudden, you know, it's a different style offense in case makes some plays. The first game is somewhat up for grabs at all times. So maybe you just surprise them. You get to three and two. And then you get in the back half of the season, and Kirk Cousins gets hurt in Minnesota, which never happens, but somehow he gets hurt and. Then you win a game, and ten and six are best case scenario. Okay, ten and six. I don't see I don't see any better than that, and you really can't poo poo that because you came up with nine, so it's not much more than you. No, I'm not. And I'm and with think... you. I'm with you on the three and thirteen. Yeah. I, I I I see that if it were to snowball, and and I say this in in being part of two different head coaches that were close to being done. In Mike, I wasn't playing, but I was around it enough. You see that what the snowball does. And so I think that if it were to start to snowball to 0-4, 1-5, I don't think it recovers. I just don't think they're capable of recovering from that. 
and and a lot of it is isn't because it's it's a weak minded. It's because it's hard to convince fifty guys to show up and play when they know that next year is going to be wholesale changes. Right. So so in three of, and if you run through this schedule, it, it's gonna it's hard to just circle. It's hard to circle nine wins right now. It's hard to circle nine. You can circle nine games that you think you can win right now. And that's saying you win all of those. But you're going to lose at least one or two of those. To your nine and nine and seven, could you win one of two of the ones that you don't think you're circling? I don't, I don't know. I, just, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's a tough year. But it, all in all, if you found your quarterback and you play him and you develop him somewhat over this year and you believe you start to get some things and you make a couple more key picks, because I do like this roster, you actually do – have a team that could build and a team that could win a year from now. If you are right about the quarterback, if there are indications when you start one and five and you start him at Miami in week six and you still end up going three and 13 or four and 12, but he is really growing and getting better. That's, you know, that's when you, you feel like you've got something going potentially into 2020. The problem is, is if you start one and five and then he comes in at Miami and he really struggles, that's another reason three and 13 or even worse could be in play. No, it absolutely could. And, and he could struggle and he could continue to get better throughout the season, but struggle enough that you're not winning games, right. but you do see that he's getting better and getting and dealing with the adversity of losing games right. and still rallying his guys, and you get a team that, even though they're, I don't know, two and seven, they're playing hard, and they think they can win every week. That would that would be good. That would I would be fine with that. This is the first year I'd be fine with that. I just don't see it as a Super Bowl team. I've said that. I just see it as too much of an unrealistic possibility, large in part because I believe in what my friend says about Las Vegas and that some of the things in Las Vegas just aren't that wrong, like the worst odds in the NFC East to win the conference. They, the Redskins are the worst. It's You should look this up. Has the team ever I... been the worst odds to win the conference and won the conference? Went, made it to the Super Bowl. No, but I guarantee you there have been worse odds in the conference that have made the playoffs and won a playoff game. I doubt that the worst odds going in have ever won the conference championship or gotten to the Super Bowl or won a Super Bowl. I and I'm not saying that in, in in the utopia world they couldn't get to the playoffs and win a playoff game. I'm not saying that. I just don't see them winning three playoff games. Yeah. Um, I'm looking Too many at, good teams in the East right now. Right. I'm looking Too many at, more too many full teams, teams that are that are ready to win. Wait, say that again. I said too many full teams, well-rounded teams, teams that are wet, ready to really make pushes deep. There's too many of them. Saints, Rams, Bears. I don't know if I believe in Kirk, but the Vikings are a very good football team they, from top to bottom. Be. And they have a good philosophy. You still have Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. New, new deal there. Carolina's going to be better this year. I really am interested in going back and finding you know, what the longest shot Super Bowl participant was. There were some te- like the Patriots in the 80s, there were, there, that was supposed to be a bad team that got to the Super Bowl against the uh, Bears. I mean, do you remember, you know, I've mentioned that the Cardinals before is a bad organization under Bidwell. They got Kurt Warner and they had a couple of years and then they signed Carson Palmer and had a couple more years where they, you know, they put together, you know, multiple years of sustained success, playoff games and got to that one Super Bowl. 
But do you know that that season that they went to the Super Bowl, I think they were 9-7, and seven, and they lost a game at New England in December, like 47-7 to seven or something like that. I mean, I think, I think it's one of the worst beatings a Super Bowl participant has ever taken. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, the Redskins' current over-under in Vegas is 6.5, which I'm trying to think if the Cardinals – Actually, you know what? God, look at this. This is updated on my site. Six and a half. My fault. I was looking at something else. Um, and I would but think. But see, the the crazy thing is, this, they have the worst. It's like two hundred to one to win the NFC yeah. championship, and that is the worst odds of anybody else. Even if the Giants are five and a half, there's still better odds to two win the NFC. Ch- yeah. Yeah. What do you make of Daniel Jones? By the way, what a, what a preseason. Uh, it probably means nothing. But it was a hell of a hell of a preseason. Yeah, he, he's had a, he's had a great preseason. Uh, I I don't think Eli's as bad. I did last year. I bought in for five weeks that Eli was completely done, and I think he had a pretty good year as that offense went on, and as he grew in an offense that suits him much better than the gun style offense without an offensive line to protect him. Right. So I, I don't I don't know if Eli's done done, but I do know that. If they don't win early, you, you got to play Daniel Jones and based on the start of our conversation today because you're just not going to teach experience. And it's not worth losing just to play somebody if you need somebody else to be in there. So that would be that'll be one of those situations where I think he'll play as soon as they're not a playoff team. All right, uh, and that'll be out of respect to Eli as much as anything else. But at the same time, they do have a long-tenured quarterback who's done some special things and can still play the game, so there's a reason to sit their guy. I've got the updated um, uh, futures on the Redskins. So they're 75-1 to 1 with the Giants and the Cardinals to win the NFC Championship. They are 200-1 to 1 with the Bengals. Um, the only team with a, a longer shot to win the Super Bowl is the Dolphins at 300-1. Yeah, and you're right. The Giants, even though they have equal odds with the Redskins to win the NFC Championship, have slightly better odds to win the Super Bowl at 150-1. to 1. Cardinals do too, believe it or not. At one hundred, that's I, I can't I can't believe that because I just can't even fathom that. But you, you, there's just too much unknown in Arizona with Kyler Murray that I don't think even Vegas can know. And right now, uh-huh. Jay Gruden is basically three to one, a prohibitive favorite to be the first coach fired. Um, the second best odds are no coaches fired in season, and then it's Matt Patricia, Doug Marone, Jason Garrett. But nobody's close to Jay. Jay's at Three to one, and then no coaches get fired. Eight to one. Heavy favorite to be first to get fired. I don't you, think he gets. I don't think. I think if they were to go three and thirteen, he makes it through the through the season. You just don't think Dan does that anymore. But you know, things things can happen. Yeah. Just never know. Never want to say never. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, have a good weekend. I'll talk to you. Talk to you later, buddy. See you. All right, thanks to Cooley. Um, if you're listening to this show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us. If you haven't done that, that helps. And also subscribe. Um, it doesn't cost you a thing. And let everybody know that you can get the show uh, at Um Let's finish up the show with the first smell test of the year. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell test. test. All right, the smell test last year on the podcast went 110, 86, and 4. The last play of the year, 
and I was very, very uh, bullish on the under in the Super Bowl, which was 56.5. Hit that one, Aaron. 13-3 final. Uh, that was the last pick of the year. It was a winner. Um, finished the season right around 56-57%, right around there. 110 up, 86 down, four pushes over the course of the smell test picks uh, last year. For those of you new to the smell test, it's just simply a contrarian handicapping philosophy. I try to find the games where the public is convinced they're right about a point spread, and I go the other way. I mean, there's more to that. I've got access to information, especially offshore, um, that I use, and uh, you know, and I've got my own instincts on, on various games. But for the most part, it's a realization that uh, the house wins and the public loses more often than not, and that the house advantage comes from more than just the built-in 10% VIG or fee that you pay on a lost bet. For those of you that don't understand that, if Aaron bet last night uh, UCLA plus three and bet $100 on UCLA and lost, which I think he did, I don't know what he bet on the game, but he loses 110 and would only win 100 So that's a, a built-in advantage for those accepting bets and a built-in disadvantage for those of you who wager. But I believe there's more of, of a house advantage. I think the house very often has games in which they understand the public's going to bet it one way and they feel more comfortable being on the opposite side. And that's where I try to find the opportunities. I try to find those games in which the house has a point spread out there that just doesn't make sense. The public thinks it's wrong. They think they're uh, going to make a, a fortune off Vegas messing up a point spread. And then what I typically do is realize they probably won't. And I go the other way. Um, there are a lot of uh, theories out there. There are a lot of philosophies. I've always been, when it comes to sports betting and even the stock market, just a very uh, very much a contrarian, go-the-other-way person. All right, so I hate this weekend, Darren. I never liked this first college weekend. I think it's a difficult weekend. I think a lot of the big favorites tend to be teams that are rusty and that week two they tend to be a much better team than they are in week one. And yet I feel that way, and many times I've had dogs on weekend one, and it's been like, ah, I was almost right. Like you yesterday really liked Texas State plus 33.5 against Texas A&M, thinking, all right, it's rusty plus Texas A&M's in look-ahead mode against Clemson, right? Mm -hmm. Tell everybody what happened. Uh, Texas A&M won by 34. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly what I thought would happen. I just didn't expect Texas State to only score seven. Right. Uh, so you were really close to being right, but you were a half point wrong, yes. uh, basically. Um, I don't love this weekend, um, but there are three plays that I think fit the criteria. And I've got a little bit of information on um, from some of my offshore uh, friends and contacts. Um, but again, even they find week one to be difficult. All right, uh, we'll start with tonight because tonight, and by the way, we we continue to get these point spreads from covers.com where they are on Friday. They may change, um, and so you may not get this number, but we'll stick with the number that we give out Friday on this show based on covers.com. All right, three plays. I like Rice tomorrow plus 21.5 at Army. Army was awesome last year. 
The the Army could run the football against anybody. They dominated time of possession against everybody. One of my favorite games of the year is when Army nearly beat Oklahoma and Norman. Remember that? They they held the ball for about 45 minutes out of the, the 60 played. They went to overtime and lost 28-21. Army's going to run the football again this year. I like Rice's ability to potentially move the ball against Army and score some points tonight. It's an early start, a 6 o'clock start. There is tremendous, from what I understand, tremendous sharp action on Rice. The game opened at 24. It's down to 21.5. Take the 21.5. Take the Owls, all right, the Harvard of Texas, Rice University, plus the 21.5 against Army. Uh, Next up uh, is another game tonight. I like Oregon State. God, they've been awful in recent years, Oregon State has. They've been a dreadful football team uh, the last few years. I like them tonight because I don't think that line's high enough and the public likes Oklahoma State. Another Gundy team that people think may be a little bit underrated. Um, A a team that can certainly score out of the Big 12. We know that. Uh, I think the line is, is... curiously low at 14. It opened at 15.5 and and is down to 14, indicating some sharp money on Oregon State. Uh, Take the Beavers, plus the 14 at home in the late game tonight uh, on a Friday night. Hopefully that gets you off to a good start. One game on Saturday, Liberty plus 18.5 against Syracuse. Uh, I can just tell you that uh, the public's lined up on Syracuse like the game's already been played. The line's at 18.5, not a lot of points. Liberty's capable. They were last year as a team. Played Virginia pretty tight last year. When I say tight, I think they lost by like you know, 17, 20, 21 points, something like that. Um, and a lot of people think that Syracuse is going to be a really good team. They're ranked. They're ranked 22nd in the country, but they're going to open up on the road. This game is a road game at Liberty. And by the way, guess where Syracuse is next week? In College Park against Maryland. Um, and uh, the Terps uh, open with Howard tomorrow. Uh, so I'll be watching that early. And then hopefully you get got a really uh, interesting opportunity for Maryland next week against Syracuse. But I like Liberty plus the 18.5. Three games to kick off the smell test. Uh, I think it's 10 out of the last 13 years uh, I've won, something like that. I, I've lost count of it over the years. I know I think maybe two or three losing seasons out of the last 13, 14 years, whatever it's been when I started doing this. Um, so be rest in, by the way, the two losing seasons were barely losing seasons. I think I went 49.9% one of those years and like, you know, 49.2% one of those years. So, you know, even when the smell test didn't come through with a big win for the year, you didn't lose big either. You basically just lost juice. All right. Three picks. There they are. Um, they are Liberty tomorrow plus 18 and a half. Uh, and then tonight, Rice plus 21 and a half and Oregon State plus 14. Thanks to Cooley for spending a lot of time with us. Uh, thanks to Aaron for producing it. Have a great holiday weekend. No podcast on Monday. Be back Tuesday with Tommy.